This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The Wednesday edition of Talkback is underway right now. Talkback is brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. Authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy can be found right here in Missoula at Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery. They're out on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, where if you need your house or or and your business clean, they can do it both. Just give them a call at 260-6617. Get a estimate because no job is too big or small. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Well, good morning once again, everybody. It is TalkBack for this Wednesday. Uh, Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio and uh, joined by uh, author and adventurer and all-around nice guy, uh, Peter, Peter Stark. How are you, sir? Very well. It's, very it's, well. it's good to you, have Peter? you. And <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so, it's Nick Christensen's birthday! Oh, yes, we do! <laughs> Nick should be sitting in the birthday chair over here. I'm, I was, I was. Oh, yeah. gosh, I thought those were yeah. in the hot seat, but that's the birthday seat. Yeah, there's candles on it and everything. Yeah, yeah. I thought I just thought it was a blazing sun behind it there. So. Nick, yeah. uh, cuantos años? Uh, 31. Yeah. Almost ready for Medicare. Triante uno. Yes. Thank you. I understand. Three years of high school Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bob, it's all yours. Take it away. Well, uh, thank you. And and by by the way, may may I say, first of all, the the phone lines are open, 721-1290-1800-568-5309. If you have a question or a comment, we'd love to hear from you uh, here on TalkBack with uh, Peter Stark and Bob Seidenschwartz. Go. Well, well, welcome and uh, good to see you again. You've been uh, quite busy and traveling. Uh, Peter and I had a conversation Good to a see you of, too, Bob. Yeah, a couple of days ago about what could we possibly talk about? <laughs> I mean, there's just nothing happening out there. Yeah. He, he has no more books to write. He's got all the history that the world I'm has ever known. Out. He's just exhausted <laughs> with nothing, all Nothing this. but crickets. Yeah. Yeah, just so, like, yeah. <laughs> what we kind of came to is um, everybody, of course, has heard to different degrees about the issues that schools are having with their curriculum. And particularly as it comes to history. So what we wanted to do today is at least start out the conversation with a historian's perspective on how would, if you are in charge, how is history to be taught? What, what have we been missing? Uh, we can't get away from the terms of wokeism and CRT and any number of very easy catchphrases that get people all worked up, riled up. But often the understanding of what may be attempting to be done and what actually is being done tends to be very dis, uh, different, doesn't it? So I, I want to get a little perspective from you. And uh, it's it's hard to ignore what DeSantos is discussing and doing down in Florida. And it's a very nice, hot political uh, hot potato. Yeah, so, no, uh, we, we can yeah. toss that one around. Yeah, so let, <laughs> let's kick that around a little bit because as an historian, you may have some insights and perspective that um, would be valuable to us. Yeah, you know, that's, and these are all very broad topics that right. we're exploring. And, and, and we'd really love to hear from people out there as we get this going because there are as many perspectives on history as there are people in the world, basically. Right. And right. as many perspectives on history of people who have ever lived. So there's, I think the first thing I would say is that there's no one universal perspective on what happened. There are many, many 
different ways of looking at what happened. And there's even disagreement on what actually happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's disagreement enough on the facts. But let's say we, you know, nailed down the facts. The Civil War ended in 1865, right. technically. Um, and then, but then there's a whole in way you can interpret those facts, the, the fact of the Civil War. Um, and I think that what uh, part of what's really happening in the in the education system today and i'm not i'm not an educator right. and so i'm not directly tied in and I, i'm asking you as yeah. an historian as, that has done and thousands of hours of research uh, uh, and discussions and papers so y- your perspective is something that typically simply is lacking in conversation so yeah so i right i mean i'm, I'm not a teacher i'm the guy who kind of cr- cranks it out right. <laughs> the, the, right. the history and um and it's really I've dealt with this very issue in my own writing, and uh, the the best example I think I can give you is this book uh, I wrote called Young Washington: um, How Wilderness and War Forged the Fa- the Founding Father, and that essentially I focused on George Washington's tw- years five years between the time he was about eighteen and twenty five or nineteen and twenty four. And it was when he was in the French and Indian War, and he was a young, quite reckless young man. Um, and, you know... By, he was a teenager. He was a teenager. <laughs> well, you know, and yeah. by some measures, he... Not by some measures, by most measures, he, he actually, like, set off the French and Indian War. His guys were the first shots in the French and Indian War, and it ended up being a worldwide conflict. Now... Here's a guy, you know, a, it's pretty tough to set off a world war as a 22-year-old. But we don't hear this part about George Washington. We we don't know this whole period of his life, which is clearly that of a struggling young man who's trying to find his way in the world and who makes a lot of mistakes. And, you know, he's in love with his best friend's wife and he's really vain and he's really ambitious. And there are all these issues with the young George Washington. Do we know about that in our history? I mean, it's it's been completely superseded by the image of the great leader of the revolution with, and the first president. With with the wooden teeth and the cherry tree. And with the wooden teeth right, and yeah, the yeah. cherry tree. <laughs> and, but, and, and there is this huge aspect of George Washington. He was a great leader. And he learned over the over the years how to become a great leader. So it's not to take away anything from George Washington as being a great leader, but we also have to see that he wasn't just a great leader. He was a guy with a lot of human emotion and foibles all the way up to the end. He was very vain. So it's that's the part that needs to be woven back in. So I invite anybody that may be listening, if they've had through their educational formative years, anybody, teacher or their own reading, that even alluded to a description that you just gave, other than what probably the majority of us grew up with, which were several paragraphs, if we were lucky, or maybe a couple of pages, that were very sanitized. There, there, there's another aspect to this, too. You, I'm sure... 
went to high school, you know, elementary school, junior high, high school, Not all, well, all, but all, 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 all that, all that. And you, you learned the same history that all the rest of us did. But then, but then you began to study for yourself and look into, into, and do all the research. And I would like to, when we come back from the break, I would like to have your, uh, were, were you crestfallen? Were you disappointed? Were you excited that you learned all these new things? Or that, am I going to have to take everything I learned in school and just chuck it? Or, <laughs> you know, because, because you're learning all these things on your own. So anyway, we'll talk about that yeah, when we come yeah, back, if that's yeah. okay. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. By the way, all of our phone lines are open. Peter Stark is joining us here in the studio this morning. We're going to be talking history uh, from A to whatever, whatever <laughs> we can get to. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back right after this. Everyone knows E8. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Snap out. Just get over it. We've all heard it. But if you're experiencing extreme stress, it's not just in your head. It can affect your entire body because toxic stress can hurt us physically without us even knowing it. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, if you're feeling the effects of stress, we can help. Text stress to 211211. I love that old expression, the proof's in the pudding. Kind of makes me hungry. Hey, it's Peter Christian for my friend Jason Baker and his Rise Realty team. Just listen. The question to always ask, I think, Peter, is ask the, any agent that you're interviewing, what, how well did your marketing plan actually work? And the proof is always in the pudding by how many families were served and helped. You know, and we take pride in helping our families and, and clients build wealth. And that's a big dish of pudding. The Accelerated Demand Marketing Program will make sure you get the best possible price for your home. And Jason can even make you an instant cash offer. You want to find out more? Of course you do. you got to call Jason at 552-4443. You can Google him at Jason Baker Team. So whether you like pudding or not, it's time to live the home selling dream and call the Jason Baker Team. Live the home selling dream. Call the Jason Baker Team. Go to JasonBakerTeam.com. Hey, we are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number, and we do have a caller. Uh, We'd like to to get our callers on as soon as we can. And Skip, you're on with Bob Seidenschwartz and Peter Stark. Good morning, sir. What's on your mind? Morning, Skip. Thank you, Peter. Good morning, sirs. Uh, I I hope I have the right idea here. I was looking at a book about, uh, it was many months ago, and it was on the day that they had the debate in... Missoula between Monica Trinnell and Ryan Zinke. And I called in and the phones weren't working right. And I think, I think it was Mr. Stark that was on talking about Washington books. And I had just, I had just left, uh, Wayne Rusk's house. I was with Wayne Rusk and Peter knows, and Nick, Nick knows Wayne Rusk. And I was looking at an original copy that he had and was showing me that morning. Uh, it was by M.L. Weems, and it was an original 1847 uh, edition of The Life of Washington. And That's I very was interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. <laughs> and, and it was... I, I don't know if it was you that was on serious. I, no, no, that that was not me. That was not me. Um, but but keep, keep going. So so this is uh, for students, scholars of George Washington. This is a a seminal work, and it's called the the skip the, the that you saw it is called the Life of Washington by Reverend Weems W E E M S, and Reverend Weems yeah. was was actually 
uh, alive during Washington's lifetime, and very soon after he died, Washington died, Reverend Weems started writing these these stories about George Washington as a sort of moral exemplar. And Reverend Weems is the guy who invented the chopping down the cherry tree story. <laughs> oh, okay. So, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I, wanted to, I wanted to tell you that when I was reading, just a, I, I, I just jumped through a few things, and and uh, Weems would show me because he had it on a special uh, a special uh, unit that holds the book so that it, there's no chance of damaging it. And I I was so amazed by the the wording and the use of the English language and the way they spelled words and the, the way that they, the printing uh, of certain letters was uh, it's very a little archaic. different. Very archaic. Amazing. But I wanted to comment on that because I knew you'd know what it was one way or another. And uh, it was so, it was like invigorating to, to look at something like that, especially uh, with my friend Wayne. Uh, who, by the way, went on to very handily win his uh, his seat in as representative from '88 here in here in the Bitterroot, and and it was it was so delightful to to uh, see that I was I was the whole time I was driving up to Missouri I was thinking about everything I saw in that book it was like wow we yeah, don't well do uh, let, let me just jump in here for a second because we were talking about um, you know before just before you called at the beginning of the show. That how, you know, how as a historian, I, I would think should think history should be taught. Um, and the example I brought up was just that George Washington. And it's about George Washington's youth and how he was really kind of a mess in his in his 20s. And that Reverend Weems really kind of plastered over that part that we never he he took care of that part of Washington's life, so no people need to know about that. <laughs> and and it, it was a very patriotic thing to do right. in a way to, that you're holding up this the 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 pre, the you know founder the father of the country the first um, you know the first uh, leader of the of the Continental Army president holding up as his great hero, and so I think part of what's happening today is that there's a, a reassessment going on and that that there's more of an effort that people want to know about people. People want to know about their historical figures as being real people and and having all the emotions and all the strengths and all the weaknesses as any other human. And so I think George Washington's a great example of this because there's been so much controversy about George Washington and of course he was a slave a slaveholder and so yeah. he's coming in for this this kind of reconsideration and one one point that I'd want to make on, about this and I, I was just reading a little bit last night about uh, the teaching of education and one of the uh, I mean the teacher of teaching of history and one one uh, teacher made a really good point in this in this discussion I was reading that you know it's George Washington can can have been a slave owner, and he can have been a great leader at the same time. Mm -hmm. And that's that you know we can hold that thought in our heads at the same time. One doesn't have to kick out the other one. So the I think uh, what what the important issue here about teaching history today is to be able to 
embrace that complexity that all humans are are flawed and they're all have great strengths too and and the, the one thing the one thing that that <laughs> that we can't do is we can't uh, uh, take what has what what this individual did the the two the two the two polar opposites right being a slave owner and still being a great hero of the country right we we have knowledge now that he didn't have back then right I, for, for instance uh, uh, slave holding was something that everybody did in that part of the country and and I, I, it wasn't until it was introduced you know in Great Britain with you know all the things that went on to try to end that the emancipation and and, and then eventually the Civil War obviously Washington wasn't around for that so we we have to understand that we have to accept these people with feet of clay just like all of us are but he still accomplished a great deal in his life he still accomplished a great deal and and to your point about about slave owning cultures and Virginia, where he grew up, was you know as slave owning as any place in the in the in the country. And, and, and Peter, the slave owners still constituted a incredibly small percentage of the population. That, true. I true. mean, it, it was an economic system that people of wealth accrued slaves, not common working folks. The majority of people were far and away indentured servants, especially early on in American history. Workers, um, they were not the slave owners. It was a system that really favored a very small slice uh, uh, of the pie. An, an elite. But the, the, about the George Washington's being part of this Virginia slaveholding culture, that there were choices nevertheless. I mean, he was raised in that, but he, he was not ignorant about People being free. And a a real, really bold point of that is when he became president. And if someone out there, if I have this history wrong, someone please feel free to correct me. When he became president um, in what was the first one? 1789. The capital was at Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was a a, whatever designation it had. It was it was a state where where black people could be free. And and there was a whole Quaker influence there that was had a, a long history of abolitionism, anti-slavery. However, George Washington has his big president's house right there in downtown Philadelphia, there today, and and he has to build slave quarters for his slaves wow. Wow. to bring up like eight slaves from Virginia to service his household. And so here he is in the depths of an anti-slavery society, and he can see how the other side lives without slavery. But he imports this, like, Mm. island of slavery into the downtown Philadelphia. Interesting. Hey, listen, uh, Skip, we're up against a break. Thanks for the call, man. We appreciate it. Thank you. And by the way, having my hands right on that book felt amazing. So, and I was born in Old Town, Philadelphia. Oh, cool. And I, I'm aware of the history you're talking about. I was born right in Old Town, Philadelphia. So, thank you for all you're doing, sir. Thanks, 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 thanks Skip, thanks for, the, for call. the call. We're going to come right back. Phone lines are open, just like Skip. 721 1290. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Willie Thomas. If- 
Okay, we are back. This is Talk Back, the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Peter Stark joining Bob Seidenschwartz here in the in the studio. Phone lines are open. And we have about, uh, about four minutes before we have to take our heart break at the top of the hour. So go ahead, Bob. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Very uh, uh, closely. Is you mentioned about humanizing. That maybe today is different than what it was 50 or 100 years ago. We don't know that, though. That's another question that were we not and how important is it humanizing? But it really struck me is that we need heroes. And if you go back to the origins of the country, you're still talking about all sorts of differences in terms of class, region. Um, we're not settled and we're still not settled. So the importance of heroes and symbols becomes very critical to binding a nation and a people of very different backgrounds and interests. I, exactly right. I mean, I, and I, I was saying over the break that, you know, back then and even today, still, George Washington is more of a symbol to Americans than a real person. Mm-hmm. And and just as you say, Bob, it was a necessary symbol, that, that uh, a hero that whom people could gather around. Right. Um, and so that was a role he served. Now, you know, it, we're, what, 250 years out almost from that that time. And we're, I th- that one, I don't think we need the same kind of mythical hero to bind us together. And, and two, I think we're, we've come into an era over many decades where we're much more interested in connecting more at an emotional level and 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 personal and individual level than 200 years ago that that you know in in some ways ours is the era of intimacy i mean think of how how many people are putting up their lives on social media how many people are you know writing biographers biographies how many people go on talk shows and you know me 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 <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but 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 enough about me what do you think about yeah, me yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, tell me tell me right. <laughs> so now, now, is that a function of an evolving it is a function of evolving society but is it substantive again from an historical yeah. perspective there's got to be some connection to that history which says, all right, yeah, we're moving in this direction, but can we or should we lose that understanding of our history as told in an open and as much as we can, honest fashion? Well, to go back to, you know, we don't have to pound him to death, George right. Washington, but that because, you know, we've heard a lot in education circles and, and, and elsewhere about, you know, he, he was a slave slave owner, you know, and that's come to become a big prominent point about him in, in recent years and that it's really important to acknowledge that point because if you don't acknowledge that point, you're saying essentially to millions of black descendants who were of Africans who were brought here to, to be enslaved, you're saying to them, well, yeah, we were fine with that. You know, George was on, into it, so we're fine with that. It was still wrong. And it was, and it was still wrong. And right. so, and so it's, it's almost more of an acknowledgement that, that he was a slave owner mm-hmm. to say, yes, this is part of our history. It's not something that we're proud of. Um, and, but we've got to acknowledge it. 
We are up against our, our heartbreak here. We're going to come right back af- after the top of the hour, continue this great conversation with Peter Starr. We're just really getting scratching the surface, getting started. We'd love to have your comments and your input at uh, 721-1290, or you can use the KGVO app. I'm more than happy to hit that message us button. We'll pass that along to Bob and Peter. So we're going to come right back after the top of the hour. Weather brought... Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. I'm Chris Jackamick. I serve in the United States Air Force, and I've deployed three times. Being a veteran, it's interwoven into your DNA. It's really the absence of the connection and the purpose that can really drive a lot of veterans to some uh, negative thoughts. For those who are in a suicidal crisis, the window of time to save somebody's life is very short. Our duty is to protect ourselves and protect... This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. And welcome, everybody. It is our number two of Talk Back, brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial, offering residential and commercial cleaning with their powerful steam extraction method, bringing tired and dirty carpets right back to life. No job is too big or small. Call 260-6617. Get a free estimate there. Also brought to you by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, authentic New York bagels and pastries, all the way from Little Italy, can be found here in Missoula. Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, located on North Reserve. All right. We are back on Talkback. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, we have Bob Seidenschwartz joining us in the studio. Peter Stark, uh, adventurer, if you don't mind me calling you that, and author. and uh, Adventure and, historian. Yeah, there you go. Adventure <laughs> historian. Thank you. And uh, we do have Jeff who just called in. So let's. Uh, we'd like to get our callers on as soon as we can. Jeff, good morning. You're on with our guests. Hi. Hi is this Jeff? Hey, good morning. Hi, um, hi, Jeff. Go ahead. Yes, it is. Good morning. Uh, real quick quick. Good morning, Peter. Uh, a question I had was, well, first of all, I think that a statement made earlier about the way we learn about Washington. I think, you know, having had six children, you feed kids gradually. Uh, you know, you don't start a baby off on a stake. So you, when, when kids first go into school, they, you know, they learn certain things. And they may be true or not. I mean, you know, chopping down the cherry tree. But... I remember learning things at, at a younger age, and then when I was way up there in the sixth, seventh, and eighth grades, um, I uh, started looking at the Young American series, and George Washington was one of those. I learned more facts there, and I think if we get to be adults, we learn more. And uh, I, I haven't stopped that. The last uh, two years ago, my granddaughter and I went out to D.C. to visit a daughter and got to go through Mount Vernon. and. The uh, the prominence of the slavery portion of the Washington's lives is very, very much emphasized when you go there. I was, I guess, chastened a little bit by uh, to realize how many slaves they owned. I think it was 317 between he and Martha um, at the height, and, and you know, to work their 8,000 acres that they had to produce, um, and to actually see. The uh, the slave quarters and know that 
uh, even husbands and wives couldn't live together. That men and women were off in different dormitories, if you will. Um, you know, and to see how everything was made there and who got to do what, how some of the jobs were very prestigious and some were pretty onerous. Um, yeah, yeah, I have to say, really, I'm going to ju- jump in here, Jeff, that that Mount Vernon, I, I I love that place. I mean, I've been there a number of times. I, I was and, there once too. Yeah. And and, and it's, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, it's to see how it's been preserved and just what you're saying that the, all the elements of the life there have been recreated in some way. And so the, the slave quarters, I mean, that is very impressive when you realize when, as we were just talking a, a bit ago, Bob was saying how slavery was an essential part of the economy and it's like the slave quarters are a huge a big complex at mount vernon and you know it was like this is where the labor came from and so it's it really is a a sort of a a a stunning uh revelation to see that in in you know in brick and mortar but to go back to your original point about um, you know, you're saying having six kids and you, you don't start them out on steak and that, that, uh, and how, how you pursued, uh, learning about young Americans and, uh, series and, uh, reading that series and learning about George Washington. You know, just a little while ago, we were talking about, about complexity and, and the ability to understand that George Washington can be a great leader and a, and a slave owner at the same time. Um, and so that's, that's, you know, in a way that's something that, yeah, a, a three-year-old's not going to get that complexity. They just see a guy, you know, and they see the cherry tree or whatever. But as you say, as you, as you, you, um, grow older and more mature and, and you're, you develop further intellectually, you can absorb more complexity. And so I think that's kind of, Almost part of what we're doing as a nation now is absorbing more complexity than we did when we were a, like an infant nation. Oh, I'm sorry, Bob. Go ahead. I, a couple I, of I agree wholeheartedly. Um, hey, and, Jeff, uh, can I ask you a question? Um, how, how did that change sure. your kind of then framing of what you had previously understood? You get exposed to this. How did that change your views regarding certain issues? And did you have discussions with children and others about that type of experience? Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it made him more human and it made, it, it, it reframed, I, I, I don't take away any of the greatness that he had, it reframed kind of the, you know, there's a saying, I think, attributed to Isaac Newton, that even a genius is a child of his times. And, uh, the, uh, the fact that he was probably equivalently to today, a billionaire, um, with the produce and everything that they earned off of that, off of Mount Vernon, I think that was one of the points in, in the tour. And uh, regardless of that, they, he and Martha had 317 people making sure that the two of them were taken care of. And I don't know how to get my mind around that intellectually. It hits me more emotionally than intellectually. Um, uh and that's pretty much where I'm at right now. I'm humbled by it, I guess. Oh, then, yeah, uh, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't say disillusioned, but but there's word. I don't know the words to say about 
Um, well, humbled, I, I can understand that. I mean, that, that that's a that's a uh, a good way to to put it. That that you know you you and you know we all see things in perspective at, at some point, and right. it is kind of this humbling experience. Right. Jeff, Jeff, we're up against a break, man. Thanks for the call. You added a lot. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Okay, we're going to come right back. Uh, phone lines are open. 721-1290. Peter Stark joining us here in the studio along with Bob Seidenschwartz. Special edition of the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio returns right after this. Hey, bro. Suck it up. It's not a big deal. Snap out. Just get over it. We've all heard it. But if you're experiencing extreme stress, it's not just in your head. It can affect your entire body because toxic stress can hurt us physically without us even knowing it. If you've lost a job, worry about your next meal, or have trouble making it through the day, if you're feeling the effects of stress, we can help. Text STRESS to 211-211 to find a solution. Hey, we're back on Talkback, Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Bob Seidenschwartz, our, our guest host, of course, joining us as well as Peter Stark, uh, adventure writer and uh, and uh, historian. A- a- adventure. I, I brand myself now as adventure historian. Adventure historian. I like it. And all, all right. around good guys. You yes. said earlier, Peter. absolutely. And 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 we do have we do have Harry waiting on the line. Harry, thank you for holding, sir. You're on with Peter Stark and Bob Seidenschwartz. Go ahead. Hi, Harry. Yeah, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, yeah, as for, uh, history uh, is, you know, like you say, it's it's uh, from a different. It can be taken from different points of view. Uh, there's an antidote. I don't know if it's true or not. Uh, like, there's like uh, uh, monument on some island, and it says on the, the on one side of it, it says at this point the lo- brave local citizens repelled invading forces. On the other side, it said at this point uh, our the crew of such such ship was. Uh, brutally uh, attacked and in uh, a vicious massacre by the hostile uh, <laughs> locals. So I mean, you know, I, I don't know if that's true, but it, it's yeah, very yeah, a great, a great example. Yeah, that's that, yeah. Whether that's true or not, it, it should be, it should be true because that's <laughs> yeah. you know on on one little island you can have one statue as you say facing one way and, and another aspect facing another way with two kind of a perfect uh, metaphor for history. Uh, exactly, a hundred eighty degree different view actually what would be even more appropriate would be instead of having two sides to that statue you'd have about 18 of them (laughs) and you know you'd have like well i was you know some other group coming through and then you talk about the penguins who were on that island who all got slaughtered but they're all these indigenous (laughs) penguins the indigenous (laughs) penguins go go ahead harry you want to finish also yeah also i uh looking back through the history of how i was taught there's i can see how uh, truly biased it was i mean uh there's things like you know well even uh the idea we all know about the uh seventh cavalry you know and battle little big horn we also know about uh alamo but i've never heard of the tulsa massacre uh, you know the of the mm-hmm. black thing i didn't until just you know a few years ago and there's other ones that i think there's one in florida too and then you hear about thousands of lynchings that I never knew of either. I mean, there's so so much stuff that we never were taught, and, and uh, just that how biased it was, and just everything we know. I was taught was from like Greek to Rome to England and to the United States, and that's pretty much the you know all the major history that we really were taught. And yet you had a whole Chinese civilization, a whole African civilization, and you know I don't even know how how much uh, that those civilizations had anything, you know, uh, 
contributed to what we have now or not. So because I just don't know what I don't know. Yeah, those uh, they're all, all good points. Call, yeah, those are all sure. good yep. points. All right, so let, let's continue, gentlemen. Go ahead. Uh, this really oh, is. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, oh, we have another you, caller. You a call? oh, yeah. I should be facing the right direction. Wrong side of the statue. Yeah, I know. I know. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it too, uh, Mr. Wingnut. Good morning. You're on with Peter Stark. Go ahead, please. Well, good morning. Uh, good morning. I don't know if I can put this all together in some kind of lucid matter here, but you know, it's uh, you know, we all have our foibles. Every one of us. And uh, there, there is some important principles I want to get to as an amateur theologian. But first, let me say, you know, it's important to put all this in context in how very normal part of life that was back in those days and how you know, very small the slave trade in the Americas was compared to other parts of the world like the Slavic countries and North Africa and the Caribbean and et cetera. Uh, so, you know, they often say, you know, history is written by the victors, and that's just a fact of life. Um, but if we put all this history in context, we also see that perhaps the important story is how uh, the United States and Britain led the way in uh, abolishing the slave trade. Um, you know, as for some principles that make people who they are, I'd like to uh, refer to some scriptures. And one is, it says, and this is about human perfection too. And this is from Philippians. Not as though I'd already attained or were already perfect, but I follow after, and then I skip ahead. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Getting those things that are behind and reaching forward to those things that lie before. And so history's fine, but you know, right now in the here and now, the most the second most lucrative uh, illegal activity is slavery and human trafficking. And does it? You know, we can uh, flagellate ourselves over history. Or we can get busy with what is existing nowadays in the horrendous uh, toll on humans uh, with the slavery that's going on. And lastly, another principle is about how we think about things. And again, from Philippians, it says, And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, Whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And dot, 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 and the God of peace shall be with you. You know, it's we can decide what we're going to feed our hearts and our minds on. And I think that is excellent advice or advice. And what really causes problems is... Um, in history, when we allow things that aren't true and aren't honest, like uh, Hannah, Hannah Jones's uh, the sixteen nineteen uh, revision, Mr. Wingnut, we 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 yeah we we thank you, thank, thanks for the call, we appreciate it. I wanted to give Peter Peter's a guest, so well, your, your response to that. Thanks for the call. Um, well, there, <laughs> there's a lot there, yeah, 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 and, yeah. and 
um, interpreting what the caller, what his, um, Mr. Wingnut. Is that what he said? Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay, Mr. Wingman. Yes. Um, so, what interpreting what he said, um, that the message I took away was that we should look at the good side of 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 humans and the good side of what we have, and and praise that and and celebrate that, and that we shouldn't hammer on these foibles and weaknesses that exist in 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 people we and can, in history we we can acknowledge and learn uh from from what what these folks did because we have the we have the benefit of looking back on their history and being able to include it with what our own uh mindset of what we know now it's so. it, it's it, it's an, it enlightens us today right. Right, as, as opposed to in darkens us. Yeah, just quickly, Mister Nut. Uh, we'll go. We'll go to a break. Yes. Right? Okay. <laughs> we're we're going to come right back. Seven two one twelve ninety is our number. We have Andy and and uh, Colonel Tim also on the line. We're going to come right back uh, with more with Peter Stark uh, right after this. For over one hundred. Hey, we are back on Talkback. Fascinating, uh, uh, should we say invigorating conversation going on here this morning. Ladies and gentlemen, on Talkback, Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls. And uh, and uh, we have more folks on the line. Now, did you want to say anything else before we move on to our next no, caller? No, let's get to our callers. All right, let's get and Andy is up next. Good morning, Andy. You're on with Peter Stark. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good, uh, morning, good morning, and Good morning, Andy. Peter, I've read a number of your books. You're a good author. I really enjoyed Astoria. Oh, thank you. I'm so I'm um, flattered. Uh, great. Uh, so I'm just kind of calling, responding to Wingnut's uh, last call. Uh, he mentioned how widespread uh, slavery is, and it certainly was. But I just wanted to uh, put in the point that America had the most brutal form of slavery than any society in history. Um, mostly because we had different, uh, different people enslaved, somebody with obvious different uh, uh, skin color, uh, etc. Um, so it was just they saw them as other, other people that had slaves. Um, you could enslave yourself to pay for debt. You could uh, uh, be enslaved for a certain period of time and then buy yourself out of slavery. You could, um, you could be an indentured so, servant, you, you, basically, right? right? Basically so, and get yourself out of a hard time. If you were destitute uh, and in need of food, you could go enslave yourself for a period of time and, and be covered. Um, here in America, we had the most brutal form, and it was extremely brutal. Um, and then another point that he made about uh, Christianity, religion has ensconced or had ensconced uh, slavery into our culture. Um, I think the New Testament even has... Jesus saying, uh, Wingnut would know, but uh, something to the effect of uh, obey your masters. Um, so Christianity really uh, cemented, um, and other uh, Stone Age religions also uh, cemented um, uh, slavery into our culture. And those are the points I wanted to make. All right. Thanks, okay. for, thanks yeah, for the so call. I, I want to ask Peter ahead. this okay. because this goes back to kind of the point I was off air. When we talk about, well, the numbers here are smaller than someplace else. We don't intentionally mean to do that, but we don't think of the consequences regardless. And then, of course, the millions of people that came from the original folks that were over here. But I'm, I'm thinking about what he's saying, too, as far as 
on one hand, you could probably find scripture in Christianity to make that rationalization. Yet you had the Quakers and many other groups that were abolitionists. So that goes back to a point for me. How do you teach history when you have these competing narratives that are worthy of discussion as we're having this right now? Right. And that's what I I was after these last few callers um, thinking, Okay, let's bring this back to the teaching of history. And so bringing in their all their points and different points of view, you know, take the hot button issue that we're on the table right now and it's on the table nationally in some way to the teaching of it, it's slavery. So what's the how do you teach this American history, the arc of American history, and where does slavery fit into that and how do you present it and discuss it and um, and essentially, you know, deal with it as a, as an actual thing that existed in history, but not deal with it in a way that it overwhelms every other aspect of of American history. However, if you were, you know, the descendant of of enslaved people, or or you know, if you were reading history in eighteen sixty, it would be that history is the history of slave slave owning but today in in 2023 how do we how do we teach history let's just say american history that incorporates the um an understanding of slavery and how it played in there and how people thought about it so i'm just opening up that question and i think the the uh main point i would make is what i said at the top of the show is that 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 we have to be able to embrace complexity that no no person is all good or all bad and that there are all different shades of gray and nuances and different perspectives in history as as there are in 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 everyone's life okay let's uh, get another caller on I believe uh, Colonel Tim is on. Uh, We'll get him on in just a second. Uh, Colonel Tim, good morning. You're on with Peter Stark. How are you, sir? Yes, good morning. Good morning, Peter. Good good morning, Uh, Colonel Tim. uh, Yes, I do like uh, history, of course, and uh, uh, that's what I took in college. However, uh, something that really blew my mind, uh, talking about George Washington, uh, is I read the other day, it says here, it says, the ages of the founding fathers on July 4th, 1776. James Monroe, age 18. Aaron Burr, 20. Alexander Hamilton, 21. James Madison, 25. Thomas Jefferson, 33. Don Adams, 40. Paul Revere, age 41. And the oldest, uh, uh, George Washington, 44, of uh, this listing. It just amazes me that uh, these men of brilliance and uh, leadership could run uh, a large estate, run, uh, you know, or patriarchs in their state and, and everything that uh, these, these brilliant men could go to get together and found this country. When uh, most twenty-year-olds, you know, can't even clean their room uh, today. Now, <laughs> they, they, now I'm laughing. That, that you know, that that point resonates. They, um, they grew up a lot faster back then, yeah, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. that's a. It is. It, it's incredible. Just what you're saying when you look back at how young 
some of those founding fathers yeah, were. Yeah, I mean, eighty just, today. Yeah, and um, on the other hand, you had uh, Benjamin Franklin was in there, and he was about he was bedridden with gout while the the Declaration of Independence was being written because they had to it's deliver it to his house. Definitely the elder statesman of it, and he was kind of the elder statesman. Yeah. But but yeah, that that um, you know the, that's another one of these points about um, the teaching of history is that. When you hear about how young these guys are, and n- not all of them, but a bunch of them, it's, it really drives home the fact that this whole idea of this whole nation was an experiment. Because it was like, I mean, it was like these guys are kind of playing with we're, a chemistry we're, set. We're making it up as we go. <laughs> yeah. Because they're, and they're so young and they're, they're, you know, re- they're ready to die, of course, you know, be, you know, hung for treason or hang for treason. Um, and yet they're they're just ready to launch on a bold experiment, and so that's a that's a historically I think that's a great point to bring up, Colonel Tim, that the the, the, the youth of a, did of they a have a formal founders. education that exceeded what we would consider something similar today, in terms of their growing up. These were people generally of some degree of wealth or not. Yes, uh, well, I, you know, it varied, but but I, I certainly know the Virginians, and I think they were to a person, you know part of the plantation-owning society. Um, a lot of them were trained as lawyers and studied law. I mean, likewise, John Adams. Um, so that it, it was not a, a lower-class group that, was, that right. was cooking up this country. Colonel Tim, we have to, we have to t- a break for uh, a break. Thanks so much for, uh, for calling. We really appreciate it, okay? Thanks, Colonel yeah, Tim. Yeah, fascinating day. Take Good care. Luck. We're going to come right back. 721-1290 is our number, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we have uh, we have Peter Stark here in the studio, along with Bob Seidenschwartz and Dick Christensen. We'll be right back after this. Well, Before I was adopted, I felt alone. After spending years in foster care, Lexi worried that she and her brother were too old to be adopted. Thankfully, the siblings were adopted, with help from the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. I love teenagers. To see how brave Lexi was and how she opened herself up to being in a family. All of a sudden, she's holding my hand and calling me mom. It was really special. Every child, no matter their age, deserves to grow up in a safe, permanent home. Children at every age experience challenges. Teenagers are more complex than young children, but in the best ways. You're never too old for family. Learn how you can help children still waiting to be adopted from foster care at DaveThomasFoundation.org. Okay, we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Uh, uh, Peter Stark joining us here in the studio along with Bob Seidenschwartz. Uh, Mr. Wingnut is on the line again, but it, it, did, did we want to discuss anything else before we get back to the phone? Um, because we're just kicking something, something around during yeah, the break. I, I think the, the point of what where we are today in terms of this discussion, trying to give people an idea of how do we and should be teaching history, because at the moment it's very contentious and divides typically along political lines and ideology and terminology like wokeism and CRT, as I brought up earlier, will either condemn or cause blowback or pushback from opposition. Where, where do you start breaking that down? As well, what, far as first, you have to look yeah. at who are the decision makers to, right? Because school curriculum is decided by who? Parents or a board? Um, 
Well, let's, commission. Let, let's put it this way. The, the, here in Missoula, the Missoula County School Board decides the curriculum. Right. Right. And so uh, they they get their books from wherever they get their books from. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know. But they, they are the ones that are in charge of elementary, secondary, uh, uh, junior high, high school. They're, they're the ones in charge of what is taught. And so it, to me, it, it, it just scares me that when you look at a school board meeting and there's nobody there. I mean, I, I, unless there's an election, right? That, right. That, that, that's different. But when the, the school board meets like once every two weeks or something like that, and it, I, I'm just wondering how many people are there saying, is there some reason why you're teaching this and not this? Prospectfully and politely, I, I wonder how many people actually do that. Well, that's a really good point. And, you know, in Florida, obviously, it's a really hot issue. Right, right. And, but, you know, I've been to a lot of school board meetings, and I've, I don't think I've ever, you know, when I was, especially when I was a young reporter, a whole lot of them, um, that I don't think I ever heard one question about curriculum and that, that whole time. And so, you know, if parents are feeling that, that they should have more control over their child's education, that's the form in which to do it. In in and and bring it up in public discussion, and it's so you've got some expertise making these decisions. And, and unfortunately, what happens because of all the headlines that have happened all over the country now? If if there is a parent that stands up and starts asking about curriculum, you know, I, I, you you can just see the the school board gripping is like <laughs> are, are are they going to rush us what you know I, I anyway and unfortunately we've created that atmosphere where the free exchange of ideas between two equals it just doesn't exist it's really hard to so, to find anyway. it. I'm, I'm hoping we're finding some of it here I'm yeah gonna, i hope so too <laughs> go ahead bob uh, no do we have our um, yes uh, uh, mr mr wingnut is back and then we also have dave waiting so uh, mr wingnut we're going to give you another shot at it go ahead well, thank you for the opportunity to respond. Uh, regarding the barbarity uh, in, in the Americas, you know, I would bring that into question, the veracity of that, and would need substantive documentation to uh, enlighten my thinking on it. You know, when we have, you know, what happened to the Jews and in their building of the Roman structures and whatnot in, in other societies. Uh, secondly, the organ harvesting that now occurs in, in China. But to bring the Christianity into kind of a context, if we remember that the Jews were under subjection to the Romans and the scriptures that were written for them that said, you know, be obedient to your masters, uh, that was in the context of they were, a lot of them were in slavery. And secondly, another scripture that bears on this is when Paul wrote and told them, you know, if you are enslaved, no, you know, give it no thought. Or if you are free, then remember that you are slaves unto Jesus. And okay. because uh, Mr. Wingnut, I'm, 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 I'm okay. Mr. Wingnut, we, we don't have time to read a whole lot of scripture. We're, 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 we were reading some of it. We're, we're no, delving, no, into, we're delving into I'm, an area not, that, yeah. Not, uh, not, but I do have okay. a question not, for you, not, Mr. Wingnut. I have a question for you. Then when you were on the, the last call, um, I thought I heard you bring up at the end of the call uh, the date 1619. Can, is, were you bringing up that date and in, in what context? Well, we let him go. Oh, oh we let him go. Yeah. yeah I'm I, sorry. I, my, my bad. Yeah. Look, this is why we're having a conversation. Anybody that can say, well, barbarity and, and then make a moral equivalency about, well, what about this? Or what? We do that all too often. And who are we when you understand 
to say degrees of barbarity when you have no decision making in what somebody does with your life. Do you want to back on to answer that yeah. question? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I want to. I mean, it's it, it, we're uh, it's an interesting discussion, and yeah. but I, I I think we should avoid a whole lot of reading yeah. of scriptures because yeah. we're yeah. trying to have a back and forth here. Right. right. Okay, uh, Mr. Wingnut, uh, what, uh, just really quickly explain the sixteen nineteen reference. Okay, and I, I will do it in this frame. You know, you were talking about CRT and uh, wokeism, and my suggestion is how to deal with that. And the sixteen nineteen project is you lay it to the plumb line of truth. Is what is being said is it true or is it not true? And there is substantial stuff in the sixteen nineteen project that. Many historians say it's just not factually correct. Can you give me an example so of that? Uh, <clears throat> I I could. I've got web pages pulled up to do it, but I don't think I have the, the time no. to really. But, uh, just, but I, I mean, that, that's, that's, I think this is my point, is that Thanks, b- before you sure. question whether the facts in a project like that are are false, it's really good to look closely at at those facts. And we all need to be more critical on all sides of the political spectrum about what the facts are. And I know quite a lot about 1619 because I've done a whole lot of research in that era. I can tell you exactly what happened in 1619. It was essentially the beginning of slavery in in uh, in this part of the world. So, um, but anyway, that, that's a hot button topic that yeah. is 1619, and that people launch on it like it's all wrong. It's 1619 is a very significant date, and there are important things about it, and we should recognize that. Okay. We're going to come right back. 721-1290. We have Dave and Emma, who both want to visit with us. We're going to come right back after this. And we are back on Talkback, 721-1290. That's our number. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio. Uh, he's our co-host for the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio, Peter Stark. And he is uh, here in the studio uh, taking, well, we're getting lots of phone calls this morning. That's great, yeah. We I'm enjoying it. Talk thank, about thank your thank books you, all your callers. I appreciate every one of you. All right, let's, uh, let, let's, let's keep going. Dave is up next. Dave, thanks for holding. You're on Talkback. Go ahead, sir. Yes, I guess since we've gone into a little bit on the philosophy, sort of, uh, uh, you know, it was Voltaire, I think, who said, uh, hell is full of people with good intentions. And I, I believe that, you know, Salem witch hunters believe they were on the side of good. And I imagine the, the slaveholders thought, well, the blacks were better off where they are now being slaves than in Africa. So, I mean, it's human nature to, to believe they are on the right side and doing good and, and uh, justify their, their actions. And I would like to know about... Uh, about Washington and, and his troubles while he was president. Seemed to get a, a bit of a pickle there with Congress. Okay. Uh, thanks, thanks for the call, Dave. Uh, what, what, what what are you referring to specifically, Dave? Yeah, what, what, well, what, what pickle are you talking about? I thought there were some land deals that, that he was, he had gotten involved with while he was, while he was, uh, after he was no longer general, and uh, he managed to get some land that was supposedly belong belonged to the, the the soldiers. But I was just curious. Have you? Oh yeah, no, I, I, that, that, yeah, I, I I do know quite a lot about that. Um, yeah, it was not so much with Congress Thanks, as far as I know. Yeah, could I mean good question? It's you know again, this is 
we're not really addressing the teaching of history here, but it's I guess we are in the sense that, you know, here's another aspect of Washington's character that we didn't hear about. And it's actually a really important part of how this country came to be and the shape it came to be. And um, we talked we've talked about this on earlier shows. I think when we were partly discussing Tecumseh and William Henry Harrison, that that Virginians were land crazy. They they couldn't get enough land, and and these tobacco growers, as as Bob was saying earlier, they they exhausted the soil very quickly. So they always needed more land, and they had these big enslaved labor forces to clear land. So you know, it's not like one guy out there. The, the the farmer out there chopping a tree with his axe, you know, it's dozens and dozens and dozens of, of enslaved people. And that, so Washington had that, that, that lust for land as bad as anyone. And he, as a young man, um, he, he bought his first piece of land at age 18 when he was a freelance surveyor. And then he continued to add to his holdings and he was especially focused on on what then was called Western lands, and these were lands, you know, West. We think, you know, like we're thinking Rocky Mountains. In those days, Western lands was were the Appalachian Mountains and places like you know Kentucky and Ohio. I mean, they, they weren't named that then, but you know that the Ohio Valley. Those were that was the Western land, and there were lush lands. They I mean, were, yeah, yeah. I mean, like Kentucky, right. beautiful, beautiful land. Um, yeah, and all, yeah, very fertile, really. Wonderful lands, and so Washington at um, in seventeen seventy. Uh, so this is five years before the revolution, and so he's a, a a plantation owner in his, I think, late thirties. He he's married the wealthiest widow in Virginia. That's Martha, who has a huge collection of of. Uh, enslaved people working for her. And so he's kind of ridden, risen to the top of the social, social uh, strata. And yet he still has this real hunger for land. And he had fought in the, in the French and Indian War in the 1750s. And, but as a British colonial, he was, you know, he was a British, he was a colonial British guy. And, um, and he was uh, one of the leaders of the Virginia military, uh, the colonial military. And for that service, he and his men and fellow officers were were paid off with chunks yeah. of land. In, in lieu of pay. In lieu of pay. <laughs> we'll, we'll give you some land over the mountains. Yeah. And that was well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bob. Their land to give. give. And it wasn't, that's another big Just point. Just a small it, little point, <laughs> nuance, yeah, sorry. Yeah, it, it was, the land was was legally held by the Indians. Right. But, but the, or in, not the Indians, different different tribes and, and, and uh, you know, uh, there were all these different Indian dynamics over the mountain. And so the, to, to pay off these, the officers and soldiers, the, the, British colonial authorities say, okay, you can have, you know, so many acres over there. If you can keep it. If you can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so Washington, um, this is, you know, one of the actually, uh, I find distressing parts of his character. I mean, really distressing because he knew what he was doing here. He, 
used various kind of devious ways to get that land from his fellow officers and from soldiers and, and to get it for himself. And he just wanted to collect thousands of acres of Western lands. And it, there, there are letters, which I've read, and you can call up on, the, on your own cell phone by going to the Library of Congress Founders Online site, which is incredibly great, has every letter that Washington ever wrote or received. And there's a letter, more than one, but there's one in specific, where Washington says um, – he asked either a friend or a brother, I think it might be one of his younger brothers, well, can you approach, uh, you know, Captain so-and-so, you know, my former officer buddy, and um, ask him if he's interested in selling his land, um, but do it in a joking manner <laughs> so he doesn't think you're serious. <laughs> and and You wouldn't want to sell that, would you? <laughs> no. And so Washington... <laughs> Is is really working every little lever he can to 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 acquire these lands, and he manages to get like twenty thousand acres, and then in seventeen seventy, I can go all day with this story, but but I'll, we'll break it. But anyway, in seventeen seventy, five years before the revolution, he took a canoe trip down the Ohio River, and guess what he was doing on that canoe trip. He was choosing scouting, the best lands, for land. and, and, and he chose the best lands, and he picked them for himself. Wow. All right, we're going to take a one-minute timeout, come right back. We, we have uh, three folks. We have Emma and Bev, and Jeff is back as well. We'll get as many calls in as we can. Really appreciate all, all of the contributions from our callers this morning. It's been great. We're going to be right back in one minute. Well, you're right. <laughs> okay, we we are back on talkback. Oh my goodness! American motto. There you go. Uh, yeah. Possession is nine tenths of the law. I'm sure that's not real, but anyway. And if I don't have it, I'll get that possession. <laughs> Let, let's move on, Emma. Emma, good. Let's get you on. Good morning, Emma. Thanks good for morning, holding, Emma. <laughs> good morning. Um, first of all, thank you for the great um story uh great history <laughs> that was very in, in entertaining oh thank you thanks i'm um, glad you liked it yeah, yeah. Um, i certainly wasn't taught that when i was in school about george washington um anyway i need to just kind of clarify a comment that was made earlier about uh, uh the school curriculum and how it's chosen yes please um, thank you yeah yeah go ahead yeah first of all the school board does not decide on curriculum that's not who picks the curriculum okay um every school has a curriculum um committee and they have guidelines and the guidelines are set by the uh the standards are set by the superintendent of schools uh, for, that for that is, for that no, district it's, it's, sorry i'm interrupting no, I just no, clarify it's, for the for the by the state superintendent or the or the county it's for the state yeah okay that, that would be lcr so that would be yeah okay yeah, it's for the whole state of Montana. Right. So when curriculum is chosen, they have to follow those standards that are set by the whole by the superintendent for the for the whole state. And um, and Elsie Arnson has come right out and said there will be no critical race theory taught in schools, which um, you know is fine. But I'm kind of wondering, you know, are people thinking things like Uncle Tom's Cabin or The Good Earth, you know, are those critical race theory books 
that's where the conflict comes in. Well, but that's... otherwise, as far as curriculum, it's a committee that chooses that in each school, and they usually all get together with other schools to decide. Well, that, then, you, um, you bring up. I'm going to jump in here. You, you bring up. Those are all good points. Um, and it's that's yeah that's informative to know that it, that the the curriculum comes from a, a state level. Um, and then it's it's brought into a, a, a local level. I'm assuming that's... Emma, that Emma thanks right for letting me know, because uh, I, I'm going to place the call to Emma, Emma Arns, uh, Emma, uh, Elsie uh, Arnson, and, and ask her about that, because uh, you're, you're educating me, and I appreciate it. So, uh, that and the, the the point you bring up, I mean, this it gets right to the heart of the matter, I think, what, what we're talking about um, in this national controversy, such as it is over, over curriculum, that you're bringing up the critical race theory. And that Elsie Arnson, our education secretary, apparently said she's it's out. Well, here's the problem. Can you tell me what critical race theory is? I mean, what does that include? I've never heard an adequate definition of what it is. It's just a catchword. It's a catchword to say that our children are being indoctrinated in 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 you know perspectives on history and society that they shouldn't be. And it's 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 just a buzzword, and it makes me crazy. And so, Emma, I think you bring the great point that you say, well, fine, let's ban CRT, you know, whatever that is. But does that mean we ban Uncle Tom's Cabin, Huck Finn? You know, what what are we what are we banning here? And you know, what's under that critical race theory umbrella? So that's where it gets really messy instantly. So, Emma, great point. Thank you, Emma. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it, ma'am. All right, uh, this is Bev. Bev, good morning. We have three minutes. Go ahead. Good morning. I won't take, but maybe one. Okay. I wanted Hi, to go back to the decision-making, too, with the board. And my, my children are way older now, but I used to run herd on them when they were in school. And I would talk to board members when these crazy curriculums would come uh, back then. And, and you can talk to the board individually, and they say that no, it's not themselves, but then you just brought up the superintendent or whatever. But they said it's, it has a lot to do with the teachers, how they're trained and what they're ready to teach. And that, that bears a big decision on, on the whole curriculum decision above. Does anybody have anything to say to that? I well, mean, well, yeah, I, I, I have a question for you. When you yeah. say uh, these crazy curriculum things, what are you referring to? Well, back then, they were doing algebra, <clears throat> the second, you know, algebra two. And these are kids when they're just going into high school. And they had to sit down, and rather than get into the math, they had to have a group discussion about alternative lifestyles. Wow. And that's what they would solve the problem in terms of sociology. It was just weird. And you talked to them about why, are, why isn't it just algebra? And I said, that's the curriculum you're using. What is that? And they said, you know... It, it's not the curriculum we use; it's the teachers and how they've been educated and what they require and ask for. So, wow. I just want yeah, to yeah, comment uh, on that. That's yeah. what I was told. Well, well, well ben, and that, thank and, you. Thanks and, for the call. And again, that's one of those cases where, you know, it's it can be. Did the teacher mention alternative lifestyles or spend, you know, six hours of class exploring alternative lifestyles? And so it, it becomes this hot button issue. It's really hard to tell. What's going on there? And um, is it math or isn't it math? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but that's to your point that the te- the teacher, uh, I think, obviously can interpret a-, a lot in in what's being taught or how it's being taught, which I think is your your point. 
All right. Well, Peter, uh, we have exactly a minute left. So where, where can we find your books? Where, 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 where do we go? What are they? Um, what, what are you most <laughs> proud of? And what, what do you want us to read? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll bring in a, a carton of them. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. and, and you can, you know, I'll give it to you. Uh, no, so uh, I don't, three books that people would be interested in. Well, now maybe four. Uh, I wrote a book called Astoria, uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson and uh John Jacob Astor's Lost Pacific Empire. And it's a really fun book about the expedition right after Lewis and Clark trying to find found the first American colony on the West Coast. We are out of time. Okay. We'll oh. start with that one. All right, buddy. <laughs> Peter, it's always, a, oh, it's always a pleasure having you. Yeah, the, really, yeah. a good, really good conversation yeah, started. Yeah. Thank you, Bob. You you're more than the man. Yeah, great Mark. conversation. All and, you callers, thanks so much. And happy birthday to Nick. Big 31. All right, there you go. Uh, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous show there, sir? Uh, Speaker of the House, Matt Regeer, from 8.30 to 9, and then we're going to have open phones for an hour. You guys have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 6 for Montana Morning.